today that is, is really significant, especially for those of us who live in an area such as where we live. <clears throat> so to get us started, I'm just curious, how many of you would say that you grew up in a situation where you experienced extreme poverty? Show of hands. Okay. Yeah, three or four. How many of you would say, okay, it wasn't extreme poverty, but we were poor? A few more. Probably another dozen or so. Uh, Middle class, middle of the road. Not rich, not poor. Probably the majority. Um, We were rich. Just, you grew up in a family and say, yeah, we were pretty rich, actually, compared to others. Okay, so we got a bell curve going here. Any who would say, I grew up in a household where we experienced tremendous amount of wealth. Okay. When I was in the Philippines a number of years ago, I saw extreme poverty. Uh, We would stay with families who lived... uh, by cooking their breakfast or their lunch or their dinner over an open fire. The chickens were running around outside underneath the stilt houses uh, that we slept in. And uh, tremendous poverty. We went out out into, it was called Kwaming Island, uh, an island that was completely, completely uh, cut off from civilization. And we saw phenomenal levels of poverty there. Several years later, I went down to Mexico City where people literally live in the garbage dump and they pick food and scraps and whatever they can find from this massive mountain of garbage. And you'll see little cardboard shacks all over the garbage dump where people live. That would be extreme poverty. This morning in our series, Finding Favor, How to Live a Blessed Life, we're going to be looking at an aspect of God's blessing that has to do with riches and what we do with them in caring for the poor. Uh, Blessed is the one who cares for the poor. And it's always a tough topic to talk about when we essentially live in a relatively affluent culture where we're not real sure what the poor look like and how we're supposed to engage with them. You know, when you talk about the blessings of God, In my thinking, they kind of fall into two categories. There are the blessings of being and the blessings of doing. A lot of the blessings that you and I experience are just simply the blessings of being, being alive. You're able to enjoy the things of life. You're able to breathe. You're able to be here this morning. You're able to listen to a symphony or watch a beautiful sunset or receive a hug from someone who loves you, the blessings of being. And then for those of us who are God's people, there are so many blessings of being a child of God, uh, being forgiven of your sins. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sins this man has committed in the course of his lifetime, and I've been forgiven of all of them. That's the blessing of being forgiven, the blessing of being called of God, the blessing of being declared justified in his sight, the blessing of being adopted into his family. In fact, Paul in Ephesians begins his epistle to the letter in Ephesus this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
And then he begins to enumerate what some of those are. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. These are all blessings of being. You didn't do anything to deserve these things. You didn't do anything to earn these things. They are simply the blessings of God because he has extended his love to you. Predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to what? According to something you did? According to your righteousness? According to your religiosity? According to good things that you've done? According to filling OCC Samaritan's Purse Christmas boxes? No, according to the riches of his grace. And so those of us who are here this morning who are the people of God, you receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing from God simply because. But then there are the blessings of doing. Once you've come to faith in Christ, once you have been saved, once you've been adopted into his family, there are the blessings of doing. For example, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So there's the blessing of doing. Certain things that you don't do and certain things that you do, you're going to receive blessing from God. Or John 13, Jesus said, if you know these things, and John 13 is where he washes the disciples' feet, And he says, now I, as your master, am calling you as servants to do as I have done. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them. So there are the blessings of being for God's people, and there are the blessings of doing certain things, where God says, if you do these things, you will experience more blessing upon your life. Now, it's one of those that we're going to be looking at this morning. One of those blessings. It's mentioned many times throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And we're going to look at several of those passages. But it's first talked about in the Old Testament books of the law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Leviticus, the first book of the law, Deuteronomy, Duet, Onimus, second law, the second book of the law. And it has to do with caring for the poor. It is in God's moral law that God gave his people instructions for taking care of the poor. For example, Leviticus 19. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. And so you get a pretty clear picture through Leviticus and Deuteronomy of God's concern for the poor. Taking care of those who are in financial, material duress is very important to God. Now, the passage that's going to guide our thoughts for this morning is Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11. And so as you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. 
If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your lands that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your hearts or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you. You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And so, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher this morning, our encourager, our exhorter, the one who would convict us of the things that are near and dear to the heart of God. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Now, did you catch verse 10? For this, the Lord your God will bless you. So here's a case where God says that he will bring added blessing as a result of God's people doing something that is of great importance to God. You will find favor in God's eyes if this is in your heart, says Deuteronomy. And we'll see that it's not just the law, it is also the prophets, it is also the New Testament. You will find favor in God's eyes if this is in your heart and becomes a part of your life. Taking care of the poor, figuring out ways to address the needs of those who have significantly less than you have. Using some of the resources with which God has blessed you and pouring those out upon others. Now let me break it down a bit as to why this is the case from Deuteronomy 15. First of all, caring for the poor begins by acknowledging their existence and dignifying their humanity. That's where it begins. You're acknowledging that they exist. There are poor in the land. There will always be poor in the land, says both Old and New Testaments. Verse 11, there will never cease to be poor in the land. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns, and they will is the assumption, some of your brothers will become poor. Do not harden your hearts. Let me ask a question. I'm looking for some uh, little bit of input from you all this morning. Uh, Raise your hand so there's not just a clamor of everybody wanting to talk at the same time because that that always happens, right? uh, What are some of those life situations that can lead a person or a family to poverty? Brian? Brian? Health issues. Health issues can just devastate a person or a family. Warren, what's that? Loss of job. Yeah, loss of job. Yeah, Brian? Divorce can bring about tremendous financial stress. Yeah. Jim? Yeah, not, being, not completing or not being able to complete education that could provide for, for, for jobs. Anybody else? Candace? Health and family? Death of family, yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, that could really rock a person's world, a family. Yeah, Bob? Natural disasters. We see that all the time, don't we? Where people are just wiped out, completely wiped out. Yeah. What's that? Wars. Yes. Yeah, think about the people in the world who have lost everything because of, because of national conflicts. Alec? Economic depression. It hits some people harder than others, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Being born into it. Yeah. You didn't ask for this. You, you came into the world in a family where there was nothing. Yep. I saw another. Yeah, Sally? Addictions. Boy, the list is long, isn't it? The list is long. Yeah. Disabilities. You know, when I drop Jesse off, or Jenny and I drop Jesse off at work uh, every Monday through Friday, uh, we see hundreds of wonderful adults who were born into this world with varying degrees of situations where uh, earning a significant living is near to impossible. Yeah. <clears throat> there will never cease to be poor in the land. And yet, if we're honest, the poor can become invisible, can't they? To where you don't even see them. Uh, you give little or no thought to their existence. I mean, it's easy to become blind to those who are in need. Not a physical blindness, but a spiritual blindness, really. It's a spiritual blindness uh, where, yeah, no, I can see the poor. I can see the homeless on the street corners of St. Louis who are out begging for some, something to buy some food or, or whatever they need. But I can choose not to see them. Uh, we can watch news stories about the poor in the land. They can even be among us. We can live n- close to them. They can belong to your church family, people with tangible needs. So it's not a physical blindness. It's a spiritual blindness. We choose not to consider their plight. We choose not to feel their frustration that chooses not to appreciate the level of stress they live with day in and day out, not knowing how they're going to make ends meet. We can choose not to understand how hard it is for them to not be envious of those for whom meeting basic needs is a given, let alone having all kinds of discretionary income for the good things in life. Yes, the poor can become invisible. And yet God says there will never cease to be poor. In other words, God is saying, I see the poor all the time. I see the poor every day. They're never out of my sight. And so can we acknowledge their existence and then can we dignify their humanity? These are people made in the image of God. They bear the imago Dei. Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. That's a, that that, that statement should rock us a bit. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults the poor man's maker. It's an affront to God. You see, friends, what we need to understand is when it comes to some people having substantial wealth and others being poor, And by the way, the vast majority of us in this room have substantial wealth, substantial wealth. Uh, I dare say the vast, vast majority of us in this room are in the top 1% to 2% of the world's wealthy. You can put all of us in the top 10%. I'm pretty safe to say that. You can probably put all of us in the top 10% compared to the rest of the world. 
But something to understand, God is sovereign even over the distribution of wealth. Your financial status in this world is not simply of your own making, not simply of your education, not simply of the family that you were born into. No, God is sovereign even over the distribution of wealth. 1 Samuel 2, the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Proverbs 22, both rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A verse that's not up there, 1 Chronicles 29, wealth and honor come from you. And so you stop and ask yourself, how did I get to be where I'm at? Well, you were born in a country, you were born in a land, you were, many of you were born to a family, you were brought into a situation where you had tremendous opportunities to get to where you're at today. You were given a brain by God. You were given hands and abilities to learn and do things by God. God is sovereign over it all. And so the first thing that I see coming out of that passage is we need to acknowledge their existence and we need to dignify their humanity as image bearers of God. The second thing that comes out of this passage, caring for the poor guards you against having a hardened heart. When you care for the poor, it will guard your heart Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Verse 7 says, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. And just so you know, those two things will be your natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to harden the heart and to shut the hand. And it starts with the heart, right? It begins with the heart, then it goes to the hand. I'm glad that it has it in that progression. Don't harden your heart, because if you harden your heart, you're going to shut your hand. The two go together. I see that in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hardened heart. Choosing to go by on the other side. I don't see him. I don't have to engage with him. He's not a part of my world. So likewise, a Levite, someone who knows Leviticus, someone who knows Deuteronomy, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, a case of a hardened heart. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, a case of a softened heart. He went to him. He didn't avoid him. He moved towards him, intentionally moved himself in that direction, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care care of him. There it is. Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay it. You see, friends, what you and I just really have to be careful of, living where we live with the resources that we have, is justifying selfishness, justifying greed, protecting our affluent lifestyles at the expense of obedience to God and having the compassion that God obviously has 
It's found all the way through this book. God is compassionate for the poor and the needy and the widow and the fatherless and the orphan. Guard against having a hardened heart. The third thing I see coming out of this, caring for the poor redistributes resources in order to meet needs. Not in terms of communism, not in terms of socialism, not in terms of a forced redistribution, but a free, freely given redistribution of resources. It redistributes resources in order to meet needs. Verse 8, you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. You shall lend to him sufficient for his need. You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus just assumed that we would take care of the needy. When you give to the needy, Jesus said. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And by the way, that's true hospitality. Hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is using your resources to meet the needs of others. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus, just, it just seems like our Lord assumed that his people would meet the needs of others. You shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. You see, friends, when I open my hand, I am letting go of my grip. Isn't that what happens when you open your hand? You can't grip when you open your hand, right? Unless you use that sticky stuff that football players use. You now you open your hand, it's, 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 you're opening your resources. You're letting go of your grip. You're acknowledging that it doesn't belong to you. You're acknowledging it's all God's. You're acknowledging that he has entrusted me with some of the world's riches but they're not mine. He has just entrusted them to me. He has sovereignly chosen to give me this amount of wealth. And then you and I are to use some of that. It seems to me like a significant amount of it is what I'm seeing more and more in the scriptures to meet the needs of other people. Verse 10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give. Give freely without a grudging heart. You know, a great example of this uh, in the New Testament is in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, where he talks a lot about the fact that there were Christians in Jerusalem who had lost their jobs, they were persecuted, they, they, they were destitute, they had nothing, and so he was receiving an offering for the poor in Jerusalem and going around to the various churches uh, to see if they could possibly help out their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So he's gone to several of the churches, and he writes to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was wealthy. Uh, the church in Corinth, life was good in Corinth. Good jobs, good paying jobs, wealthy families, nice homes, nice houses. Uh, they all drove beamers, okay? And he writes to them and says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, and meaning the grace of giving that God had brought about in the hearts of some people, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So you got the church in Corinth here, affluent, wealth, abundance. 
The grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and they were all very, very poor churches. For in a severe test of affliction, they're being pressed down, they're being crushed by life, they're being persecuted, they're being harassed because of their faith. They've lost their jobs, a lot of them. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and so you got two buckets here, okay? The joy bucket is full. Their abundance of joy, the second bucket, and their extreme poverty. So their material bucket was virtually empty, okay? The joy bucket full, the material bucket pretty much empty. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have combined to overflow in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's bizarre. For they gave according to their means, and their means wasn't much, as I can testify because Paul says, I saw what they gave. And beyond their means, how in the world did they do that? Of their own accord, I didn't force it. This, is, this was not a forced redistribution. No. Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, to us. And so their, 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 their joy bucket was full because of what they knew God had done for them in Christ. Okay? It was overflowing. They were blown away by the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the faithfulness. We sang about the faithfulness. They were blown away by the faithfulness of God. He has done this for us. Now I will tell you, the danger for the Corinthian church is that they were not blown away by the grace and the mercy and the love of God because they were so enmeshed in their wealth. And that can happen. Your material bucket is full to overflowing and your joy bucket is virtually dry. But it was the exact opposite for the Macedonians. And as a result of that, strange combination, it overflowed with an abundance of begging, earnestly begging, please, Paul. Paul probably was trying to say, guys, you've got to, you're giving too much. And he said, no, 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 no. We want to give as much as we can, and then we want to figure out creative, creative ways to give more. But notice, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. You see, they had given themselves completely to the Lord. When you know that your life is not your own, when you know through and through that you belong to the Lord, you will at the same time know that everything that you have belongs to the Lord, that your possessions are not your own. And friends, it is always easy to let go of a part when you've already let go of the whole. It is always easy to let go of a part when you've already let go of the whole. If you don't give yourself first to the Lord, your giving of some of your money will then even tend, tend to engender a sense of pride. Look what I gave. Look what I put in the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas. 
And the thing that I've had to wrestle with over the years is what percentage of the wealth that God gives me directly goes to taking care of people who have significant less than I have. And so let me just put it as plain as I can. If you haven't given your life to Christ, don't give your money. Because in giving your money, you might think that that's somehow earning you, earning you brownie points with God. No, you first give your life to Christ. It will be difficult, if not impossible, to have God's heart for the poor until God has your heart. And in those last verses, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. James wrote, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, I'll pray for you. Without giving them the things needed, what good is that? Paul wrote to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous. They are to be ready to share. The fourth takeaway, caring for the poor protects you from the guilt of sin. And so that ties in with number three. Caring for the poor actually will protect you from the guilt of sin. Verse 9, you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. If you give him nothing, Deuteronomy says, you will be guilty of sin. Proverbs 14, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Let me give you probably the best example of this in in all of Scripture is the man Job in terms of a man who was concerned about if he didn't take care of the poor, it would be sin. Um, If you're not familiar with Job, he was an extremely, extremely wealthy, blessed man. He had thousands of camels, thousands of sheep, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, lots of manservants and maidservants. Life was good. Uh, Job lived in Ladue, okay? Ladue on steroids. Uh, And he lost it all because Satan came to God and said, yeah, but the only reason Job trusts you is because you've been so good to him. And God says, okay, you've got permission to, to, to take him. You've you got permission to basically wring his life dry. And that's what Satan did. He could take everything from Job except his life. He took away his family. He took away all of his wealth. He took away his health. He lost it all. And so Job was then forced because three, three friends came to Job and said, Job, we need to straight, set you straight here. The reason all of this has happened to you is obviously because you've sinned against God. That's the only thing we can come up with. And so Job was forced to defend himself to his friends. In order to declare that he had done everything he could to live a righteous life, including caring for the poor. Look at what it says. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, 
or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it. For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or the needy without covering, if he was not worn with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help at the gate, then... Let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. So Job is describing sins related to having a lack of concern and care for those in need. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, and the needy are the words used to describe. And he describes it in general terms to begin with, withholding anything that the poor desired. That doesn't mean mean selfish desires. It means anything that the poor desired to survive. Or causing the eye of the widow to fail. The eye of the widow, these are not covetous eyes. These are eyes looking for what she needs to stay alive. He's describing things that defenseless people need for life. And Job in his wealth was able to provide. Verse 17, he zeroes on their need for food. If I have eaten my morsel alone, in other words, if I have enjoyed sumptuous living, if I have feasted on the finest foods that the world has to offer while ignoring the poor, and he is saying, I didn't do that. Job had shared his table with the fatherless, with the orphan, with children who didn't have dads to put bread on the table. Now, this is National Adoption Month, and today, I think, is National Orphan Sunday. It's a day for remembering the fatherless. That's what Job did. Job remembered the fatherless. See, I get the impression that Job was essentially a foster parent. We have foster parents in our church, the Merquarts. We have other families in our church who have fostered over the years. There are 18 million children worldwide without moms and dads. There are 400,000 children in foster care in the United States. There are 13,000 in foster care in Missouri. There are 1,500 with no identified adoptive parents just in Missouri. I get the impression that Job was essentially a fostered parent. He was concerned for the fatherless. And he had been doing this since he was a kid, using the wealth that he apparently grew up in to help meet the needs of others. Job made this a part of his life. It was a part of who Job was. He had made some decisions and maybe had been raised by a great mom and dad. I don't know. But the fact that he was doing this from his youth tells me that this was a part of his life early on. But Job is clear to point out, and this is what I don't want you to miss. Job is clear to point out, had he not done these these things, Job is saying, I would have been guilty of sin. Number five, caring for the poor is thus an act of obedience. The Lord says, therefore, I command you, verse 11, I command you, you shall open your wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And so finding tangible ways to care for the poor does not appear to me to be optional. I think there is a responsibility on probably all of us in this room to wrestle with this and figure out what this is supposed to look like for me. This is not something that's forced upon God's people, but it's something that God calls his people to so that we can be like him. And then number six, caring for the poor brings added blessing. And I already pointed that out, verse 10. For this, 
caring for the poor, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Psalm 41, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Proverbs 22, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 14, blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Poor. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, she opens her hand to the poor. And by the way, what is Zacchaeus known for? Being a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree, right? Do you know what else Zacchaeus was known for? Tax collecting. You know what he told the Lord? Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. That's what Zacchaeus should be known for. Not for being short, not for climbing sycamore trees. Zacchaeus should be known for a man who gave half of all of his goods to the poor. That's Deuteronomy 15. Let me wrap it up with this. Say, okay, Pastor Gary, what's the motivation behind this? Well, I'll tell you what it is. I was reading in Psalm 86 this week. It begins like this. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. Friends, there's not a day go by that I don't say to the Lord, I'm so poor apart from your riches. I'm destitute without you. Father, I am fatherless without you. I'm an orphan without a home without you. And yet in your grace and kindness and goodness, you took all of your riches in Christ and gave them to me. And I don't deserve any of it. One of the greatest verses, I think, in all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 9. And this, it's like Paul would say to all of us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and that's such an understatement. I mean, all things were made through him and for him. Without him was not anything made that was made. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. In him was life. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the needy, for the sake of the orphan, for the sake of the fatherless, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Brothers and sisters, this is where we find our reason and our motivation for spending our lives and using the resources that God has so abundantly blessed us with to figure out ways to consume less upon ourselves and find creative ways and obvious ways to address the needs of those who have so much less than us. For in this you will be blessed.
Would you take just a minute, please, and allow the Spirit of God to be the one who speaks to you as to what, just how to respond, how to respond to God, not just in this moment, but maybe also in the, in the days to come.